This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we are breaking ground with a first-time-ever Monday episode of Bama, beginning the continuation of our review of The Chosen with a discussion on the first episode of Season 2. Beginning the continuation, Marty. Beginning the continuation. Breaking ground. I love it. I love everything about it. We're putting out some bonus content, Brent Billings. It's just so... So good. Uh, hopefully a surprise. I mean, I, I I almost leaked it here and there. I said more than you probably liked me to. But. Let's be realistic. People probably know this is coming. <laughs> <laughs> but we are finally here. And I love this because it also gives us a chance to hear, like, to, to say that we are, we're, we're hearing the feedback from our Listeners, so when we got back to like a verse-by-verse journey through John, the overwhelming consensus, Brent, was this is what you guys do. Like this, this is Bema. Thank you for being back. And 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 part of me is a, a little like, I don't know. I don't know if I'd call it frustrated by, you know, people are like, I love it when you guys do Bible, but I don't know what else we've been doing. Like everything we do is Bible. We're either trying to apply the Bible or we're we're talking about like the chosen. We're talking about, you know, a, a drama about the Bible. Like it's all Bible, but I think I understand what people are saying. So what you're saying here is a commitment, Brent, to not now some people like some people freaking loved. Can I say freaking on a podcast? They they love you want. I'll beep it out. I'll I'll beep it out and make it sound worse if you want. <laughs> Please don't. Uh, they loved like we we actually got a ton of new listeners because of the chosen commentary we did for season one. So some people absolutely loved that portion of session six. It's one of their favorite portions, and uh, that's great. And that's the thing about session six that we've discovered is everybody likes different things. Some people love the interviews where we get to talk to people about the books they've written or what they do, and and some people have that's like been their favorite parts. And some people are like, ah, I don't really care about that. And then and then other people like loved the chosen, and then some people were pretty frustrated. They're like, I don't really want to watch The Chosen. I don't love The Chosen, like whatever. So it's it's always like this hit or miss experience. That's the nature of humanity. But the overwhelming consensus is that people love Bible content from us. So, so, so where we moved The Chosen commentary to a bonus episode. So, you, you know, you, you probably will see these on like a Monday. And, and your Thursday episodes will remain committed for those of you that are like, I don't really want to do the, you don't have to take eight weeks off while we do season two of the chosen. We'll still give you all the Bayma content that you desire. And for those that love chosen, a bonus experience every week. So it couldn't be, it couldn't be any better. And, and this probably, we're probably learning from this, Brent. I don't want to make too many promises about what the future will look like. That's always a bad practice. Um, but I, I have a feeling like we'll probably we're learning, we're taking notes, and in the in the years to come, I think we've got this twenty twenty two mapped out for what we hope to accomplish in twenty twenty two. Like that's probably a thing. Um, but uh, we also have this. Um, we're also learning, and I think in the years to come, we may be. I don't know if it'll be like a spinoff podcast where we put some of that other content, some of the application, some of the interviews, some of those things in like a separate feed, whether we do more bonus episodes, like who knows, but we're, tr- we're, we're trying to learn. We're going to try to keep growing this teaching team that we have 
And if I can lean on them and their help, we can keep we can we can make sure we have a steady stream of Bible content always coming our way. So I think if it's any indication for what the future holds, I think we're learning and we're going to try to keep heading more and more and more in that direction. It'll take us some time. Um, and and I would love to say that all of this is possible because people have been supporting our podcast financially, making donations. Um, that link is always there in our show notes if you want to join our our team of supporters. And, and I don't want this to be too commercially. Um, I always have to walk this fine line between feeling like I'm a like a televangelist asking for people's money and and just speaking honestly and truthfully about um, when you guys give, it's a big deal because what it allows us to do is is help pay people like Elle and Reed and Josh to help us teach, to help us create content. There are other people that we would like to, we have a strategic plan. We, look, we would like to hire some people that could help us keep producing more content. We just need help because there's only so many hours in a day. There's only so many hands on deck and we've got a we got to do what we can with that. And so the support that you guys are are sending in and and giving so generously is enabling us to continue down this road. And I just get I love to do this. I just love I love I I'm a creative. I love to create content. So I love it. Would you add anything to that Brent before we get in? Um I will just echo the the fact that uh I'm super thankful for all of our donors and I am excited every single day. Uh to get to do what I do. And I'm, I, I love the new people that we've brought in and we have other new people on the horizon, uh, who I'm quickly falling in love with, uh, in a working sense. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's great. We have, we have an enthusiastic, uh, set of groups on the map. We have over 300 groups on the map now, which is just on every single time I look at the map, it does not ever get old. I am just amazed that there are so many people who are willing to um, step out and find community and wrestle with this stuff uh, in the same way that, that we've been doing. So yeah, it's good. A- a- amen and amen. I'll second that all day long. So anyway, we will do the chosen and they will be bonus episodes. So they will not slow us down in our quest to go through John verse by verse. Um, and also hopefully the fact that they are bonus episodes means uh, we can probably even get to them sooner next time around. So we're we're playing catch up with season two, but uh, maybe by the time season three comes out, our episodes on them will be closer to when they actually release. I do love that. Nope. It's going to be great. And, and I think that's a good segue into uh, diving into season two right now. Yeah. So um, just some just some general commentary on the production of The Chosen. So they did... They did season one. They crowdfunded it. Um, relatively small number of people contributed to that first season, and they produced that, and it was popular, and, and they said, okay. And so they went forward, and they made season two, and season two has grown substantially beyond that. And so apparently they have enough confidence at this point that they will be able to finish out the entire seven-season vision that they had, you know, from the beginning, they thought like this could be seven seasons, but the first season it's like, well, we're going to close out season one and see what happens and, uh, and, and go from there. And, and, uh, God has provided enough support for them that they said, we are confident that we're going to get through all seven seasons. So they, uh, 
sat down and wrote apparently season three through seven all in one big chunk. So I am um, personally curious to see how that affects the way things are broken down and laid out going forward from season three specifically. It's not going to have as much effect on season two. But they wrote the rest of it after season two all in one big chunk. They just went off on a retreat, the the writers, and uh, they actually added somebody to their writing team, a, a pastoral perspective. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's good. So they have it. They have their end. They have everything mapped out. They know exactly how everything's gonna. They know what their last episode is. They know how they're breaking everything down. So I think it's good. Yeah, I, I, it's amazing. It's fascinating to me. I love it. I love all the behind the scenes stuff that you find out. This is such a cool Ooh. little learning experience. And I will say, I saw on a table in in their little video where they were talking about writing out the the seasons. They had the uh, I think it's Thomas and Gundry's Harmony of the Gospels. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and they had yes. they had one other Harmony of the Gospels. Um, yeah, there's another one. I can't think of the name behind it, but Thomas and Gundry is my biblical or my Bible college textbook i will say that none of the books looked particularly used so (laughs) they were just crisp they had gotten a new copy for their work yeah i you know i i first went through that harmony um back when i was in high school and knowing what i know now uh with the behemoth perspective and how each gospel writer had their own thing that they were doing their own audience I, I just have so much respect for anyone even attempting to harmonize the gospels. Uh, like it's not really possible the way the gospels are written to harmonize them. Um, but for, for a show like this, like you kind of have to do that. That's true. That's true. It's a great example of a place where harmonizing makes sense. Yeah. So, and, and we'll get into that as, as we talk through the episodes, because there are some, some things that are just like, Oh, well this happened in John one, but season three had the scene from John three. And it's like, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know? So, yep. uh, I think, I think we should get into the episode itself. So here's our spoiler horn. Let's, let's do it. So we actually start off the episode in the future uh, with Simon and the other disciples being interviewed. Uh, they're initially just looking into the camera and the interviewer turns out to be John and uh, John is is uh, writing down um, notes, he says, for for a future book. It seems like he doesn't have uh, doesn't have anything specific in mind. He just wants to make sure he has all the stories recorded while he has the chance. Um, Big James has uh, just died uh, in, in this part of the timeline. And, and so he's like, you know, I got his mom's or his mom, Mary, uh, is, is saying like, uh, you should probably be mourning your brother. Yeah. She talks about sitting Shiva. Yeah. And she says, why are you doing this during Shiva? Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, ah, I gotta, I just gotta get this stuff written down before it's too late. Like who knows, you know, how long any of us will be here. So I gotta, I gotta do this now. Which is so interesting because like traditionally speaking, um, like they're, there's that there is that passage in John where Jesus talks about you know you're not going to die in the same way at the same time and and it, there seems to be some tradition and evidence that suggested that there was like this because of those words like people one like people people were aware of that conversation that Jesus had had with John and it led to kind of like some uh, some some urban myths, if you will, surrounding John. So it's interesting that John had that angst here. I I didn't mind that at all. I don't think that was done in ignorance. 
I loved that part of it, but I did like find it interesting. Like, oh, and he's the guy that everybody thought is going to live forever. Yeah, well, I think his angst is more that he's not going to get the stories out of the other disciples before they die. Oh, great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, I get that. Okay, yeah, I'm feeling it. Okay. Um, although, I mean, you'd think he would be familiar with the stories, but I mean, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> the uh, you, you never know. Like, it's it's just like, hey, remember back on that time? Like, we talked about this, and you said this, and. And what were you actually thinking? You know, that sometimes you don't get those perspectives until much later. So, so I think it's appropriate. Well, and as an academic, I've kind of loved that. And I know a lot of people haven't. I've heard the exact opposite from other folks commenting on this. But like we always talk about Q source, um, that there was this source material behind the Gospels that, was, that got passed around and circulated. And I love this idea that they're using here in the chosen of Matthew's writing stuff down, John is writing stuff down. All these people are like cataloging, interviewing this commitment to we have to be able to pass on these stories and uh, the cataloging of it. I, I really do love, and the academic in me kind of loves to like, ah, yeah, I could see that being like kind of the foundation for Q source. And so it just really. Really cool. Yeah. He, at one point he's interviewing Matthew and, and uh, Matthew's sharing some details of a story. And, and John says, it doesn't need to be precise. And Matthew's like, why wouldn't it need to be precise? Mine will be precise. <laughs> I loved that line. That was so great. And I even loved it in relationship to my personal opinions about it's one thing about character development within the chosen, but I, I do love that particular character and his development and how it relates to his gospel, because you've heard me talk about Matthew. I would actually agree with that, and I love how they've worked that in. I I am such a sucker for this part, this opening, whatever you want to call this scene, this opening section of episode one here, season two. And I was like, man, am I just a sucker for this stuff? Am I? And no, because I'm I'm critical. I'll have a couple critical moments, and I was pretty critical of the Christmas one, and I was pretty critical of the last episode of season one. So I'm not just like bold over, but man, I, I do love, I did love this opening scene. So many super clever, relevant. Um, and now I'm getting ahead of myself in my notes. I love the emotions that they worked into this, mm. like little John, like kind of like emotionally kind of breaking down, like how much I miss him. And I, I love, it wasn't just cerebral interviewing, note taking, like there were emotions with these people, emotions. There was even humor with Peter. And I loved that element of this whole opening scene. It was just, I, I love the, uh, how Mary says the whole, you know, if you wrote so much, if you tried to write this all, there, there's not enough books in the world that could contain yep. it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Mary gets what the a credit beautiful, for that. Yep. I know what, the, what a beautiful, like little toss towards honoring Mary with the closing verses of John. We can't, that's pure speculation, but I loved that writing. That was just such good writing for me that John would would honor his his spiritual mother passed on to him by Jesus on the cross, take care of this. And, and tradition says she lived with him until their de her death in Ephesus. Like I just loved the idea of John. <laughs> I love the idea that that idea could have come from her. Pure speculation, but yeah, um, I just love that. It was so good. Well, and following that tradition, like it would make sense. Like all the other people would come in from different places. He would be interviewing them, writing down the stories, and then at the end of the day, he's sitting there with Mary, processing through all this stuff. And the scene closes where they're discussing like. 
okay, but how do we actually get into this story? Where do we start this thing? And so they're, they're mulling that over and then we get the credits. So then we're back into um, our regular timeline. John and Big James are tilling the ground, and they're discussing why they're the best disciples. <laughs> Which I, that was a great, great little moment. You know, I'm catching so many things in this second and third watch through that I didn't catch the first go around when I went through the season, which is always true, obviously. But I have started noticing whenever James talks, he is he is in love with actions, deeds doing like almost every conversation this episode it's almost always tied to like there's something to do there's work to be done and i just thought of that in relation to you know potentially the book of james depending on how you want to tie the james and who the james is and who the author james is i just loved that you know i don't know how much that's being done intentionally but I, I just love that being worked into the character development, too. be a great question to ask, because I would not be surprised if that's intentional. But, uh, yeah, that's a that's a great find. But that would be taking a different theory on who the author of James is. So, yeah. I mean, I and they've also very clearly not taken my theory, but there's lots of ways to kind of, like, pull these James characters. There's a lot of theories out there about who is James and how do you explain it and who is who and all that kind of stuff. And and uh so i mean who knows but there there's a lot of that i noticed in this season a lot of very cl- like and you don't have to do this they do not have to put this much illusion this much work behind they don't have to be this clever it's easy to overdo this or make it cheesy or corny and the work they're putting into it it's is it just continually impresses me with their character development it's so it's so good I enjoy it. I think I'll link our episode on James as well as your addendum video talking about the identity of James for anyone who is curious about that conversation. And if you do that, look at the comment thread. Um, There's one pretty lengthy response that was done very graciously and respectfully um, and and gives up like an argument against my position. And it's a very it would be the logical, respectful argument. I, I would I would totally affirm it. I would be like it. It's not where I land, but if I had to land somewhere else, I totally love. So even 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 then, I would even I would even shout out the person in the comments that was like, "Ah, eh, I, I appreciate the challenge, but I think you're wrong." I love it. I love it. Love it. That's what we do here. We wrestle with uh, we wrestle with a lot of different ideas. That's right. Um, so then we have uh, Thomas and Rayma, and they're looking at a map, trying to figure out how to find Jesus, how to find the Samaritan town that he's in, um, and then. Uh, then we see Simon coming in to report on the growing crowd. Uh, Andrew comes back at some point. He's like, um, don't know where Jesus is right now. <laughs> so then everyone kind of scatters and uh, starts looking for him. And then we find Jesus. Uh, the audience finds Jesus first. He's working on repairing a man's cart. And the man says, you know, you're pretty good at this. Maybe you should stay in town, open up a shop. And then uh, Fatina comes in. Uh, she's the woman from the well. Uh, she comes around the corner, and uh, the the man with the cart. He's like, "Oh, oh, this this woman. She's going to introduce you to every Samaritan in the entire country." <laughs> and uh, and Jesus is like, "Yeah, yeah, that, that's kind of the idea." I think. No, it's good. A lot of a lot of clever moments there. Um, no notes in my notebook, but uh, yeah, I I uh, appreciated. 
appreciated that scene too. Um, so then Thomas and Rama uh, arrive at the house. Matthew answers the door. Um, and there's a little bit of tension there. Matthew doesn't actually end up letting them in, but then, uh, Mary, um, arrives and, uh, introduces everyone, brings everyone in big James and John show up from the field that they've been working. And, uh, and there's just like some, you know, some relationships that are being introduced and some tension that's kind of sitting there in the room. And then we, uh, then we come back to Jesus and he's teaching, uh, to a relatively small crowd compared to what we'll, we'll see later, I think. Um, but, uh, so little James comes around the corner, discovers, discovers him first. And then Simon and Andrew come in from the other side. And, uh, and then, and then we see some, some, uh, harmony going on here where Jesus is, um, he's talking to a shepherd in the crowd and he's drawing the story of the lost sheep out of this shepherd and, and doing his lost sheep teaching in this moment. Well, I don't even know if I would call it uh, harmony as much as I love the suggestion that while Jesus is in Samaria, he's gathering all this teaching material right. from Samaritans. And it, like if any disciples, if that were true, pure speculation, like the disciples would have maybe overheard that. And then when he tells the story later, like they would realize like, oh man, he got that from Samaria. Right. He got that from the Samaritans. But uh, I just, I, I did love the possible idea that some of those ideas, you know, I, I just love that that he, that he would call out a shepherd in a Samaritan setting. And yeah, it was just good. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah. I just mean harmony in the sense of we're sort of more or less in John four. Uh, but then this story that appears in Luke 15 is being pulled in to, to this part of the story. Sure. And, and I, and, and I, and I love when they do that because it, it allows me to think these stories weren't just like one-offs, like, these stories probably were told numerous times in numerous settings and numerous occasions. And who knows where he picked it up and shaped it and learned it and all that. But, but a story that's told later in the harmony of the gospels was a story that probably was told right. already 20, 30 times. Just like if you were to follow Marty around, you'd hear me teach the same lesson 20 or 30 times. Like I, I do love, I think we said that too in season one, the way they mix that into the teaching times of Jesus. They, they cross reference material so much. Absolutely. Um, so then we're, we have a shot of a man out in the countryside and he comes up and sees the field that, uh, John and James have been working on. And then we jump back into town. Jesus and his disciples are returning to the house and, uh, Jesus is, uh, meeting some people and, and, uh, Meets Rama's father, Kafni, and says. Now, now in that in that scene a moment ago that you referenced, where the man is, uh, that's the scene where we actually see the man has a bad leg. He's on a crutch. Is that is that correct? Do uh, I have my, does my memory serve me correctly? I do think we see that. It's very very brief. He he's you know he doesn't even see anything. It's just you. He walks up and you get the sense like, oh, somebody has done this for me. Um, right. But we'll yeah. we'll definitely get a lot more of his story later. Um, so yeah, so Jesus is making arrangements with uh, Rama's father, Kafni, and says, hey, we should talk in the morning. Um, then he goes and finds James and John, who are just like devouring a bunch of food, and they they seem a little embarrassed. <laughs> and Jesus is like, hey, tell everybody else about what you've been doing. And uh, so then the next morning, the, uh, the the disciples all go to the market to buy food for dinner. Um, there's there starts to be all these arguments about who's in charge of what's going on here, who knows what, who's in the loop, who's not in the loop. Um, but but they do disperse eventually and go get all their stuff. Um, Jesus has been 
you know, teaching and meeting people. And so Simon like goes up to buy some wine and they give him extra wine because they're enthusiastic about what, what Jesus is doing. And then, uh, Fatina finds Simon and asks him to deliver a message to Jesus. So then as they start to come back to the house, Rama returns and she finds her father there who's upset uh, because he's been waiting for Jesus, did not have his meeting first thing in the morning like he expected. Jesus comes back. Uh, they exit the room. They have their discussion. Kofni's like, look, uh, I don't really feel that comfortable with it. But at the same time, you totally saved my business, my reputation, everything. So whatever. So he leaves. Um, he, he sees Thomas on the way out and warns him about the potential foolishness of following Jesus. And, and, uh, he's like, look, I know you're going to come ask me someday for my daughter's hand. And I honestly don't know what I'm going to say. Yeah. And I, that whole, that whole conversation with the dad and Jesus and all of that, I, I felt like was a good representation historically of the patriarchy of that the patriarchy of that world, and I thought they're I think I think they're walking these this line really well throughout the chosen, and and I don't mean what I'm about to say to come off as some like support of patriarchal systems, but in the reality of historical patriarchy, they're they're demonstrating how it could have it it could. It could obviously be held very abusively, very oppressively. It could also be held with a sense of compassion and all the things that you would want. If you're going to be talking about historical patriarchy, you're seeing the bits and pieces there that you would want to see in that. A dad who cares, still respects the autonomy and the humanity of individuals involved, but but it, but it also depicts, I think, accurately – the historical setting of how those patriarchal relationships he he travels just to go talk with Jesus he can't just send a message he himself has to be there as the father as the patriarch like uh, i just find that to be uh, a good representation and one done in my opinion tastefully and again i don't say that to support ancient systemic patriarchy or to take a stand on complementarism or whatever i just I appreciate how they're showing that and still depicting so many other parts of the conversation. So is that tension realistic of like him being a willing to give up the stewardship of his daughter's safety in exchange for the reputation of his business? Essentially. I don't know about the exchange of it, but there's definitely this acknowledgement of, of, uh, like honor, this cultural shame and honor culture, and like the sense of like almost like personal debt, like he's indebted to the character and integrity of Jesus and what he's doing, like bothers him to no end, but he can't argue with that. And now he he kind of somewhat owes, I don't know if I would say he owes Jesus, but he owes this thing a, a chance. He owes this thing a shot. And so I don't know if it's so much like this transactional exchange as much as like a a cultural yes, the answer your the short answer to your question is is yes. I, I I do think that's there. Maybe not in this um uh yeah, whatever I'm trying to say. Not in a scorekeeping sense, but in this really interpersonal I see you and you've seen me and I don't really like any of this. But I'm trusting – let's call back to session three. 
it, it's a great opportunity to see a good eye. When this dad could have an evil eye and even be justified in doing so, you're seeing because of this exchange that they've had a good eye rise above the circumstances. And I, I like that. All right. Sounds good. So then we have uh, Jesus out with his guys. They're inspecting the field and uh, tells James and John they did a great job. And they then they turn and head toward the house of the owner, uh, whose name is Melech. And Jesus tells them, like, yeah, we're going to be dining at the house tonight. And as they approach, comes out to greet him, uh, says thanks for the field. And he's like, look, James and John did the work. Um, and Melech says, look, I can't offer any money. I don't have anything here. And and Jesus is like, well, we were thinking about sharing a meal. And he's like, well, I don't have any food either. And Jesus is like, we got all that stuff. So, you know, if you've got the space, if you're willing, we'll, we'll sit here. So, um, then you see him, you know, at the fire, I, I, I believe after the meal, um, the disciples are telling stories, the family's asking questions, um, exactly what you would expect out of a late night campfire, I think. And then, uh, Melek reveals he broke his leg uh, by falling off of a horse, and he insinuates that he was stealing the horse after Jesus asked a few questions. And then the the wife and daughter um, excuse themselves and uh, to get ready for bed, and and Melek kind of continues. He's like, "Look, you know, if you really knew who I was, uh, you would not help me." And uh, Jesus is like, "No, no, no, please tell me your story." And so Malik recounts uh, basically the Good Samaritan story, but from the perspective of the robbers who um, who beat the man up and, and left him there for dead. And um, Malik is all torn up about this. And he's like, you know, whatever, this guy's probably dead. This is my, my fault. And Jesus is like, look, actually, the guy lived. Don't worry about it. Trust me. And... Uh, and then, uh, you know, as they, as they get through that story, then they're, they're getting ready to get up and leave for the evening. And Jesus makes a joke about, uh, eh, maybe we should be careful. You never know who's, who's lying in wait out there on the road. <laughs> and then we back to town. <laughs> yeah. A very modern joke, but, uh, I absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah. And I do appreciate those moments considering the humor that Jesus may or may not have had. I, I, I do appreciate that. Again, we see Jesus potentially getting material from the Samaritan setting. I, I don't think you have to have a parable based on a real life event. It's interesting to consider that in light of this. Um, I don't know if I would have, and obviously there's kind of like that God goggle element potentially here. It's not required. I wasn't in love with that. I probably would have slightly written this scene differently if I was the one writing, but then the scene wouldn't have been as good because I'm not a screenwriter. And, but there's this, um, I, I kept toying with the, um, and I, again, I don't know what the writers are aware of or what they're trying to allude to. I kept toying with the Ramez that we discussed about the Good Samaritan and Second Chronicles 28. And if, if there's this, if there is this, Second Chronicles 28 allusion, Melech is, is Hebrew for king, it, and, and the allusion to Chronicles is like the king of Samaria is the one that tells the people in the Chronicles passage to send the donkeys back. Like, and I appreciate what they were doing in the, in the scene there where Jesus was saying, he didn't die, he didn't die. In the scene there... They're trying to show Jesus assuaging his guilt, like, like let me deal with this guilty conscience that you have, which I appreciate what, what that does 
for the screenwriting of the scene, I would have loved to have like spun this around in such a way where it was like, okay, well, the story, the story did end that way, but the story could also end a completely different way. And historically, it even did. Like historically in Second Chronicles 28, the 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 king of Samaria even did the right thing. And you could have done some cool things with the character there too, even later having the opportunity to do the right thing rather than the wrong thing. But I digress. I digress. Those are the notes I have. And it's completely feasible that Jesus has encountered whoever it was uh, who is involved in the... Exactly. Absolutely. In the other side of the story and, and just knows the outcome of the story and, and then happens to 100% find this guy and makes the connection. So this, you know, couldn't agree more. The God goggles are, uh, you know, uh, our perspectives are, are intact. Yes. There's mul- multiple ways to, to make this work. Multiple ways. And I got to quit bringing it up because everybody's starting to email. So we'll leave it alone. <laughs> uh, yes. That is the thing about our chosen episodes is we have people who are not familiar with, uh, with the ideas that we have put forth in session three. So it's like, you know, old school Bama listeners are, are, you know, I don't know about on board, but they're at least aware of our perspective. And, uh, yeah, it, it is a tension because yeah, it's Philippians too. It's like, did Jesus actually set aside his divinity to be here on earth? And, you know, to what extent did he do that? Like that, that's the tension. So good old Christology waiting to be unpacked, probably a little bit of both in, in the end. So, um, so then they find themselves back in the town and they're at, they, they show up at Fotina's house and, uh, her husband answers the door. And if you remember him from the end of season one, uh, very cranky fellow. And, uh, and he's like, look, you know, who's Jesus? <laughs> And he raises his hand. He's like, look, you've got, you've got even me in good spirits, uh, in a good mood here. And so he's like, uh, you know, I don't have, I don't have the nicest place. I don't have enough room for everybody, but, but we'll make it work. And, and, uh, and yet he has a ton of space. A, he has a ton of rooms for that setting that ancient. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah. And, and these rooms have space and they have beds, like beds, beds, which would be a sign of, pretty good wealth so i love that whole i don't have much and boy does he have he has some pretty sweet digs there in my estimation yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) so then uh so then the next morning melek wakes up finds that his leg has been restored and then uh cuts to a shot of jesus and he he wakes up and has this knowing smile about the situation and and then John is kind of probing him about that and and he's like you don't even have to be there to perform the miracle and uh and Jesus is like, hey, look, you know, someday you're going to do this stuff, even even better stuff. And uh, and James is like, wait, what a second? Another statement about doing all the things that you'll do. And James is like, you got my attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then Jesus is like, hey, I need some alone time. Uh, leaves everyone uh, there at the table while they're having breakfast. And then they're they're arguing like, hey, we got to have a plan. Um, we need an agenda for all this time. We can, we can plan out the next month, figure out where he's going to go, what he's going to (laughs) do. And, uh, which is hilarious. Um, (laughs) like I know they haven't been with him that long, but, but do they really (laughs) feel like they have, I don't know, but James and John are like, Nope, we're going to go talk to Jesus. We're going to propose our plan. And, uh, they attempt to do that. And, and as they get out and find Jesus, some, Samaritan men are passing by and they start throwing stuff at them and spitting at them. And, uh, this is where James and John are like, Hey, maybe we should call down fire. And, uh, 
And Jesus is like, no, no, we're sowing seeds here. Um, this is where he gives them the Sons of Thunder title. Uh, lots of lots of stuff packed into this little story. Yeah, there are a couple of statements that I just absolutely loved uh, that came from the the scene prior, maybe even two scenes prior. It might have even been when they were, I'm just looking at my notes as you went over that section there. I think maybe even when they were still sitting kind of in bed in the morning, um, talking with each other with Jesus, James and John were, and I love the line he said, I don't address everything at once with new converts, Big James. And he says with new converts, I could take or leave the last two words, but you know, I don't, I don't address everything all at once with the, He was referring back to the, the man that night at the house. And there were things that he talked about and things he didn't talk about and things he didn't address. Yeah. The, I love that. He, he, uh, Fotina's husband said, you know, this, this room is haunted. There's some ghosts in there from, from my grandmother or whatever. Oh yes. That was the setting. Yep. 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 And, uh, and then John, John made a comment the next morning that he, you know, had a little bit of trouble falling asleep thinking about that. And Jesus is like, there's no ghosts here. And then John's like, well, why didn't you just tell him that then? Yeah. I, and I loved a, it was, a had an element of humor to the exchange, but I also thought there was a ton of wisdom there. Um, and so does the next statement I'm going to share too. There are some real nuggets in these episodes. I feel like where they have, they, they take a, a soft, gentle, compassionate shot at what we tend to do as evangelicals, like try to correct every little thing we ever find to be true and accurate and and I love this statement of Jesus, like, why would you do that? Like, just let, and it's so true with how I've grown and matured as, even as a Christian leader, like, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to address 90% of the stuff that flies by my windshield. Like, I'm just, I'm going to wait for those really good moments where it's like, that's worth my time and everything else, every shred of bad theology, every, people always ask me like, how do you go to church? How do you listen to a sermon? How do you know all the history and still because you just have to let you just have to let stuff go like just calm down and let it go cuz this isn't about getting every little detail right we say as we critique an episode on the chosen um <laughs> but then this then the next one comes in the next scene where Jesus gets up and they're like we need to go with you and he's like enough with the protection and i just have in my notes like it's underlined like three times like we still do that theologically speaking like we are so convinced that if we're not God's cosmic bouncers, like somehow Jesus is going to like die or be done away with, and He needs us to stand up and protect Him. Even today, even not a a, a physical, a physically present, literal living Jesus like like the, like the Rabbi of the first century. Even just the concept, the theological reality of Jesus, we feel like we have to protect. And it it is kind of silly, like you were talking about, like, it's silly to think about them sitting around trying to make plans, and it's silly to think about how we try to protect. Jesus doesn't need our protection. Like, he does not need our theological protection. He doesn't need us to make sure that the world doesn't do it. Like, Jesus has got it. Like, you don't have to cage the lion. He's a lion. The lion will take care of himself. Like, we don't... Anyway, I, I just loved that statement. I thought it was a very artistic... Uh, provocative jab in the ribs um, to what we tend to do as evangelicals, but I digress. So then we have the, um, the disciples come out, they bring the priest of Sychar and by the way, before you move on, can I just say how brilliant I don't have anything to add just how brilliant that whole 
Samaritan stone throwing, call down fire from heaven uh, interaction is with James and John, uh, the Elijah connection. Uh, They set it up with the whole, did he have us go out there because we were the best at our job? Or did he have us go out there because there was a lesson to be learned? Mm, Yeah. And James is like, I'm not even so sure anymore. And and turns out it was a lesson to be learned. And just the whole way that that, uh, it was so... And again, the whole scene, I'm just in love with it um, because of what it could teach us as Jesus following all of us that would identify as like Jesus following evangelicals, like that whole scene. And, and I think I'm afraid that we didn't catch it. Like we just watched it. And we're like, oh, that's clever. And we didn't catch like the prophetic edge, the gentle but scathing rebuke of the way that we typically order ourselves. Anyway, I just, I just loved that scene. I'm in love with that scene. It's one of my favorites and, and so good. I was a little sad that they didn't explicitly mention Elijah when, when Jesus confronted them, like, uh, call down fire. Really? Like, that's what you're going to use the power of God for. Yeah. And, and I, I felt like their response should have been like, oh, you know, like Elijah, right? Even in that same spot, it was here, but Jesus, it was here. Like they could have had this moment of like, but it was in this very spot that Elijah called down fire. Um, cause that's geographically where they're located. Yeah. It's in that very location, but yeah. Yep. But yes, the scene, the scene overall, very, very pleased with it. Um, so then, then we have the disciples coming out and they bring the priest of Sychar with them. And, uh, he's coming to ask if Jesus will come and read in their synagogue. And then, uh, then they're in the synagogue and the priest presents them. They have all five scrolls of Moses in this synagogue, which I'm like, wow. Okay. Again, I, and I'm so floored at how historically aware and astute the chosen is as they, cra- they have synagogues. They have the priest of Sakar. They have the books of Moses all there. Like the conversation that surrounds the books of Moses and how they're, they don't have the rest of it. Aren't they missing? So like it was so historically aware. It was another case where I was just like, holy cow. Like, and, and you heard our episode not too long ago with Ellen and I, um, where, where I, I feel like you could almost swap. Um, what's the name in the, episode of the Samaritan woman? Uh, Fotina. Fotina. Like, just swap Fotina for that uh, Sakar, the priest of Sakar, And that's how I picture it. Like, make those the same character. And, and I'm in it to win it. But I, I'm just so amazed at how they have them in synagogues. They have the five books of Moses. Like, just well done. Well done. I applaud that. Yeah. My, my point in saying, in saying wow about that is that they would have all five scrolls physically there in the one synagogue. Absolutely. Ton of wealth there, which would make sense in the Samaritan subculture. If there's wealth, it would be in Sakar. If there's a ton of communal support and religious fervor, it would be there. Sure. Like, uh, but yes, you're absolutely right. I, I had the same thought when I saw all five scrolls. Wow. What a, what a huge thing for them. <laughs> and it was nice because they presented their, the Hebrew names of the books, um, but then helpfully translated them in the text of the story. So, uh, that was nice. Um, and Jesus is like, hey, uh, can you send in my disciple John? And they they talk about, you know, what do they do? What do they read? Where do they start? And uh, ultimately, Jesus 
prods John into suggesting, you know, Genesis 1. A personal favorite of mine, if I do say of, so. Of course. Uh, yeah, definitely. And uh, so then Jesus takes the scroll out, and uh, you see Malak walk in, um, and the, the disciples stand up and offer uh, their seat, which I, I'm a little confused about the, the seating arrangement there. It was pretty crowded. Like, this synagogue probably had... Um, you know, a substantially larger crowd in it than it normally would, I guess. Um, but they make room for everybody and Jesus begins to, to read from the scroll. And then the scene, uh, ends up being cross cut with, uh, that future scene from the beginning of the episode where John is writing the story. And so you have Genesis one woven in with John one, and that is how the episode ends. Which was so good to consider when you consider hearing the words of a gospel like that and consider when they were very first pinned in the midst of emotional firsthand experience. What a, what a powerful way to consider those words and be reminded of the historical setting behind the writing of the gospels. So yeah, great. Love it. And so early on, like John is crying in the, in the synagogue as Jesus is reading this, um, which totally makes sense. Like, they haven't been together that long. I'm sure he's heard Jesus read in a few other synagogues, but, but this is probably the first time he's hearing Genesis one and to have, to have this piece of scripture that's so meaningful to him and then hearing it through the words of his own rabbi. Um, yeah, like totally, totally get his response to that. So, and there were some exchanges that definitely hinted at divinity and you're not quite sure like how much John sees or gets in that conversation, but those tears seem to be connected, and I love how they're portraying that because they're already working in this special bond, this special relationship, the disciple whom Jesus loved between him and Jesus. And I mean, that will be a big theme in the Gospel of John as we're seeing as we go through this, is that relationship between Jesus and the Father and that whole, and and just gives you some potential speculated insight into the things that could have driven that. And I think just John's general understanding of the power of the word and words in general and the words of Jesus. And yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, that's, that's episode one. Uh, Any other, any other thoughts before we get out of here? Not for now. Surprised we did that hour and five minute episode and 47 minutes is pretty good. (laughs) I did kind of gloss over like, there's just so much, so much dialogue and character building and like, tense moments of these people learning how to how to live together how to interact with each other how to you know because we talked we talked about it like these these people are from very different backgrounds and so it's like matthew had has just been called like this is their first their first uh mission their first outing um where matthew's a part of it it's like okay what is the tension of like actually accomplishing something in the midst of a tax collector who we've hated for all these years. And, uh, yeah, so there's, it's definitely an episode that, uh, that you got to watch to, to get everything like, yeah, hopefully people are not listening to listening to this and not watching the show. We are not really doing it justice. We're just, we're just talking about, you know, how do we, how do we feel about how they portrayed everything? That's, that's what we're doing. But if you're not watching the show, my goodness, please, please go back and watch it. So, um, yeah, there you go. All right. Yep. Well, if you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. 
And you can find more details about the show at BamaDeception.com. Uh, this this podcast, if you, you know, once again, weird time to jump in, uh, even if you're coming here for The Chosen. Um, hopefully you would start back in season one. But but yeah, this, this podcast, uh, you know, we laid out the whole narrative of the scripture in the first uh, about 200 episodes of, of the podcast. And that's really like, that's what we're here for. And, and we're talking about um more things we're talking about application now but uh yeah if this is how you're finding the show please go back to the beginning of our podcast and and join us on the journey of of god's narrative so that's all at bamonestablishment.com so thanks for joining us on the bama podcast uh this special can i say this week anymore because I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to end this. This is a weird episode in in the middle of our release schedule. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there you go. I can say that we'll talk to you again soon. Thunder, the thunder, lightning, and the thunder.